Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to jump into the Word today. You can remain seated. And I want to start out with this thought. Um, I want you to know that God laid this message in my heart indelibly and, and kept coming back to the same scripture, the same core scripture over and over and over again. Uh, every day in prayer, every day in my thoughts and my study time, bringing back to this one scripture, and we'll get there eventually. Uh, it's not the one I'm going to lead with, but it was the center, it was the core of this message. And I believe it is because there is a greater message to our church, to those of us who are faithful and, and coming and seeking God. There's a guarding that God wants us to apply to our lives. There's, there's an attention, there's an awareness that God wants to bring to this congregation. If you're new in the house today and you saw this wonderful time of worship, if you're a guest with us this morning, we don't just show up. This isn't I'm sorry, but I'm not going to hold back on this. We are not ceremonial. We don't go through the motions. We truly, truly have a deep, abiding, passionate love for our Savior. This isn't show. I can tell you the people that came up here and gave their worship, and those of you that stayed in your seats and gave their worship, is because we truly, honestly are so desperately thankful. Because we have a Savior, and we have a God that's pulling us out of the mess that this world is offering us right now. Amen. We live in a world that's full and we're surrounded every day with constant levels of unrighteousness. If, if, if righteousness were defined by the world and not God, it'd be okay and we'd be all good with allowing a baby to be born and then killing it because it's convenient or it's the right thing to do or it's, it's the, for, the, for this purpose or that pers- purpose. That's the righteousness that the world is offering us today. If, if, if righteousness were defined by the world, it'd be okay that people of all sorts of genders and, and decisions and, and all this stuff that's going on in the political world and alternative lifestyles would be okay with God if, if the world defined righteousness. I'm unabashed in that, I'm sorry, but the word of God is very clear. Do we hate those people? No, we do not. This is not a church of hate. This is not a church that seeks out to, to, to attack people for their lifestyles. We seek out to love them and share the love of God with them. But if the world defined righteousness, God would be okay with that. He's not. And so I ask you today, who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? If you'll turn with me to Micah chapter 6. I've just got two scriptures that I'm going to read here at the beginning and I'm going to dive in. You can stay seated. The Word of God contains the word righteous or righteousness over 550 times. I believe this is an important concept for God. Defining righteousness. What is righteousness? Micah chapter 6 and 8 says that He has shown you, O man, what is good. He being God, of course. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly? to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Proverbs chapter 21 and 3, you'll see it on the screen here. It says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You know what that's speaking to? That more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice? What it's speaking to is an element of self-righteousness. He says that's what the world is swimming in today. 
Maybe some of you read an article in the last few days or so. I was shocked when I read it. Future Hall of Famer NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers came out this week and made some of the most disgusting, shameful comments regarding God and faith and people of faith I've ever heard. I was literally floored, disgusted, because in his self-righteous manner, what he has decided and defined for what he believes, and I'm not going to quote this exactly, but what he said was effectively this, what kind of a God, omnipotent, omnipresent, great and loving, wonderful God, would want to send half of his creation to a fiery hell? And I sat back and I read that for a second and I thought, do you really honestly believe that? Is that the self-righteousness that's uttering through this world that people are deciding that I don't want anything to do with that church stuff? I don't want anything to do with God because what kind of a God would send half his creation to hell, to a fiery hell? And I want you to understand and know that the answer is this. God does not want to send one person ever in existence to a fiery hell ever. That's not the point. That's a self-righteous justification for turning away from what he knows and what he believes. See, his family was a family of faith. There's a picture hanging in the church office in there right now. Brother, Brother Kylie hung it up. And it's a picture of Aaron Rodgers pointing like this. He did that frequently when he had success in his football games. He'd point up. Well, apparently he likes birds. And there's a quote on there. I don't know it exactly. It's become white noise hanging on the wall there. And it says something to the effect of, I think it's the Lombardi quote, God, God, family, Packers, and everything else or something like that. But what's disturbing about that is there are voices like that that are uttering that stuff. And he's on an interview. You can see the clip. You can listen to what he had to say. He's got all this pompous, self-righteous stuff that he says. I'm, I'm, I'm egregiously disappointed. I've, I've brought to our auction here, I've brought Aaron Rodgers' memorabilia, autographed memorabilia to, to help to sell to raise funds for the church. We've done quite well with it. You've seen the last of that. This isn't all about football, but I like football. I don't have a lot of vices, thank, thank God, right? And I like football. And one of the things I like about professional sports is there are large groups of Christian athletes that get together and they pray on the field and they talk about God and they give God the glory and, and, and these guys have been very, very honorable in that way. Not all of them, certainly. We've got our, our bad ones, but you don't see those hanging on our wall. And I can tell you before Brother Kylie returns, that's coming off of our wall. I will not represent that. What's even more so is that Christian faiths in this country, Christianity in, in general, is starting to feel the effects of the enemy trying to move in and establish a false form of righteousness. And that's where this is coming from because I believe, I believe in my heart of hearts that had Aaron Rodgers had a true deep understanding, a spiritual infilling of God's spirit, what we know to be the apostolic truth, I'm not speaking of anything that you won't find right in the center of the Bible in the book of Acts and on into the rest of the teachings that they gave. If he had that true, real Christian experience, that deep abiding experience that you have when you're broken down at this altar and you begin to give it all over to God in repentance and ask for the infilling of his spirit and 
and God begins to fill you with that spirit and you begin to utter those extra words, those words of holiness that he gives us, this speaking in tongues, that's the evidence that the word gives us. And plunged into a waters of baptism, sweeping all that stuff away as the word commands. If he had had that experience, that true righteous experience, he would have never uttered those words. But modern Christianity has allowed this type of thing to come in there. We're starting to define it the way we want to define it. We're starting to determine for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. I ask you again today, who are the righteous? You see, Adam and Eve started the whole thing. When they knew that they had sinned and they hid from God, what did they do? They created themselves an apron of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. That was righteousness. That was self-righteousness. You've heard me preach this before. I call it, literally, fig leaf righteousness. If you're going to walk up to me and say, well, Brother Cordell, I don't, I don't come to church for this, blah, blah, blah. I don't do this and that because I feel blah, blah, blah. My first answer is that sounds like fig leaf righteousness. If you're going to justify in your behavior and justify in your actions something that is contrary to the word of God, if you're going to rationalize something is right when it's not right and it's wrong, that is self-righteousness. That is contrary to the word of God, and I'll show you. Romans chapter 3 and 10 says that there is none righteous, not one, none of us. God told the prophet Isaiah in chapter 64 and 6 that all of our righteousness is as of filthy rags to God. What Aaron Rodgers said, his self-righteousness, his decision to shy back from Christianity, from faith, is sourced in exactly that. He's just worn himself Brother Meyer, garments of filthy rags. If you didn't hear Brother Meyer's message this morning, it ties ex exactly into what I'm speaking to you today. Once again, God was at work. We did not exchange notes. I want you to think of righteousness as the exact polar opposite of sin. We can talk about sin here. We do, by the way. And we must. We must continue to reiterate and remind ourselves there is such a thing as sin, and you do it, and I do it, and we make those mistakes. But we're not covered by a righteousness that we decide. Well, that sin's okay. That's a little one. That's a little white liar. That's a little something sin. That's okay. We don't cover ourselves in that righteousness. We cover ourselves in the righteousness that God provided us. Proverbs 12 and 28, you're very familiar with, says the wages of sin is death, but in the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. Righteousness is the only living standard that is acceptable for God, for us to follow. It's the only living standard. We have to find and seek real righteousness. And folks, if you're a human being, if you're wearing any element of flesh on your body today, if you're a human being, I guarantee you that on a daily basis, you fight a battle drifting back and forth between righteousness and unrighteousness. And somewhere in between, you're trying to rationalize those two and you're trying to justify those two until God convicts you or you allow him to. This is why every day we've got to seek him. God, give me your will. God, forgive me for, for the things and the mistakes that I make. Living a life of repentance constantly. Because when we do that, we set ourselves up for the opportunity for God to tweak us in our hearts and say, wait a minute, what you're justifying in your actions right now is wrong. It is not pleasing to me. And then that brick in your heart happens and that thing happens. You say, oh man, that's right. I didn't, I'm not doing that right. And you begin to work to get it better. That's righteousness. That's the seeking of righteousness. 
One of Brother Kylie's favorite scriptures. You've heard him say it many, many times. Seek ye first. Seek first. Before money, before love, before happiness, before sustenance, before anything else in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. This world's got it upside down. They've got it backwards. Folks, if you've never been in a church before, if this is your first time hearing some kind of a message out of the word of God, I want to tell you, you live in a world that's got this thing backwards and upside down. Because it's teaching you every day and training you every day to go after happiness. Get what's mine. I want to win. I want those dollars. I got to have that glory. I want that great job. But the word of God encourages us every single day. Seek him first and his righteousness. And if you do, all that other stuff will be added to you. All the things you're worried about. Oh, man, are we going to be able to go do that? Oh, man, are we going to be able to afford this? Oh, is this going to work out? Is that job going to come in? Is this thing going to happen for me? All that stuff that we strive and we fester for. If you seek God first and his righteousness, it'll be added to you. You know God wants to give you the desires of your heart? Despite what you're frustrated over and what you're angry about and what's not happening for you right this moment, the way you want it to happen, the way you want to see things go, the way your mind has defined for it to happen, despite all of that stuff going on inside you, God's standing over you and he's saying, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Whenever you're ready, I'm ready to give it out to you. If you seek me first, if you turn it over to me first. Listen to this scripture in 1 John chapter 3 and 10. Powerful words. Powerful words. If you think I'm crazy, I'll show you what it says in the word. 1 John 3 and 10. You can see it on the screen. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You know we serve a black and white God. He's a plus or minus guy. He's an up or down guy. One way or the other. There's no gray area with God. If you can find gray area in scripture, I'd like to meet you after church. We'll have a Bible study and we'll cover it. There is no black er uh, gray area in God's world. In this scripture, there's either the children of God or the children of devil. I'm not sorry about that. If that makes you feel uncomfortable, if that's something that doesn't ring right with you, you're in self-righteousness. Because the word of God has now defined. In this, there are the children of God and there are the children of the devil. And here's how they're defined and how they're manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. What does the word say? You'll know them by the love they have one for another. The beginning of righteousness. That's very simple. It's a message he wants us to hear. He wants us to understand if we're not practicing in righteousness. Notice, notice it doesn't say self-righteousness. It doesn't say the way you want it to go. It says the righteousness. And if you don't do it, you're not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. It's a standard that most people desperately desire, but they never find there's a, there's a peace and a quiet in it. It says in the word in Isaiah 32 and 17, look at this awesome promise. In Isaiah 32 and 17, it said, the work of righteousness shall be peace 
and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. I'm going to speak to the men for just a moment. Guys, run in your households, family men, guys that, that, that have families and, and wives. What do we want more than anything? Brother Brown, after a day at Miro Tool and you're going nuts with everything that's going on there and you come home to that beautiful, wonderful wife and you sit down, what do you want more than anything in life? Peace and quiet. Am I wrong? You don't have to say yes just because I'm here and you're sitting there. You're my, you're my senior, my, my mentor. Anybody argue with that? Peace and quiet, that's, that's all I want. My wife provides me with a beautiful home, a wonderful mind. I've said it before. I, I just love being able to send, end the day and come back because I know when I walk through the door, I'm going to be greeted with that beautiful smile and that warmness and it's just, there's peace in my home. And, and I love that because I can just, oh, it all just comes off. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. Righteousness, it, it, by the way, it's not, it's not some difficult struggle that you're supposed to live in, in some kind of a special way, some set of rules. By the way, if you're new here again, if you think this is one of those rules churches, no, we're not rules churches. And here's why I'll tell you that. Because righteousness is not a process where you have to wear a certain set of clothes and wear things a certain way and look all good on the outside for God. That's not righteousness. It's the effect of righteousness. Because when you truly seek God, it's an inside thing. That righteousness is internally, it's in here, it's in your heart. And when you begin to see what God is doing in your life and that peace and quiet that he brings you and those, that joy that he brings through serving and living and coming to church and lifting your hands and worshiping and being amongst these people who are just in love with God, that stuff is happening on the inside. All of a sudden one day, you know what? I want to look a little bit better. Maybe I want to be, I don't want to dress a certain way that isn't, that isn't considered proper or, or there's things that I want to do differently on the outside. Maybe I'm not going to cuss anymore. Maybe I can communicate with my family without raising my voice to 180 decibels. Maybe there's things that manifest, but that's between you and God. There are guidelines, there are things, there are principles that God puts in his word related to holiness and all of those things, and we must adhere to those things. But righteousness first. His kingdom and righteousness first. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we know it well as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is, this is the inauguration, if you will, of Jesus' ministry, the real true depth, the meat of Jesus' ministry. 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. As a matter of fact, almost everything you would want to know about what Christ expects of us in Christian living is found in the Sermon on the Mount. It's on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus reminds us that he didn't come to destroy the law, he came to fulfill it. For some of those Christians out there, those self-righteous Christians who are defining for themselves the way that this works, will say, well, I'm not under the old law, that's the old law. Wrong. Jesus didn't come to end it, he came to fulfill it. And as a matter of fact, he said things, you've heard me say this before, he said things like, if you just lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. If you're angry with your brother inappropriately, you've committed murder. He took it to a new level. Jesus said, okay, I've got grace for you, but I'm going to take it to a whole new level. There's a level of righteousness that you need to seek. He taught many parables. The message of salvation is found in his message. Again and again and again throughout the book of Matthew, after the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke in parables, and he said, like, the kingdom of heaven is like unto 
Again, you've heard me say this before. Anywhere in scripture where you read that comment, your ears should perk up, your radar should go on, the computer should fire up, and you should listen to every single word. Because when God says the kingdom of heaven is like unto, what he's saying to you is, this is how you get there. Anybody here want to go to heaven? Everybody still believes in heaven, right? I won't do a show of hands. That's, un- that's under challenge in the world. Righteous people have determined, well, that's fable. It's fiction. God help them. But in Matthew chapter 5, we're also presented at the beginning of the, of the chapter in 5, we're, we're presented with what we call the Beatitudes, the characteristics, literally, of righteousness. They're called the Beatitudes. Some people even say the attitudes that you should just be. I don't know if it translates that way or not. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to just take you right to verse 3 through 10. There are eight critical Beatitudes. And I know many of you have read them before. Don't raise your hand, but if you're honest with yourself, you never really quite understood what all of them meant. I'm going to try to help you with that. Starting at verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does that mean you walk around sad and depressed and throwing ashes on yourself, wearing sackcloth and being a sad person? Christianity is all about being beaten down and sad in the world, right? We go to work and we let everybody know, oh, I didn't get to party for the football game last. No, of course not. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, when you hear that phrase, you got to listen. you got to tune in. But you have to understand what that means is humility. God's just asking for humility, and it's not an accident that it's at the beginning of the list. Humility is a prerequisite for all of the rest. Folks, if we allow pride into our lives, if we start to get a little bit too big for our britches, we start raising ourselves in some kind of a station, hey, you owe me something, you owe me something because I'm this and because I'm that. If you ever catch me doing that as a pastor, you have my permission to say, whoa, pastor, is that pride coming out of you right now? Because I don't want anything to do with it. Pride is a killer. And humility is the prerequisite for all the rest. Verse 4, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do we want people in your life to die? Is that what God's saying? Hope people die and you have to mourn and deal with it? Of course not. I want to tell you that I work and I operate out in the world every single day. And I have a spirit that mourns. That mourns and grieves for the things that I see that are going on out there. That's what that means. That you care that you have a deep abiding care and a mourning spirit. My God, look what people are doing to one another. Look what they're doing to babies. Look what this world is doing, legalizing drugs and excusing behaviors that are abhorrent to God. That mourns me, that grieves me in my heart. That's what that means. Blessed are you if you mourn, if you don't just walk through life and go, well, that's them, they're going to hell and I'm doing all right. That's not a mourning spirit. You suffer looking at the impact of sin on the world. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to tell you right now, meekness is not weakness. I've suffered this my entire life. I've always been a pretty congealed guy, a type B type personality. I get along with everybody. I smile a lot. Oh, that guy's weak. Oh, you must be, (laughs) he gets it. But that's literally how people see it. I've had people accost me over that. I've had people 
just try to trample all over me. Because if you're meek, if you're kind, you're just a weak person. And I want to tell you that's wrong. That's not what that meekness means. You are not called to be a doormat. That is not what God is asking for you to do. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's utilizing temperance and knowing that there's a power that's behind you that's greater than anything you could ever muster. If you're seeking revenge on somebody, if you're, looking at, if you're angry with somebody and you just can't stand them and you're just going to throw things at them a certain way, treat them a certain way because that's going to be their punishment, there's nothing you can do to that person that could possibly equal the power and the might that God has to save that person's soul. Strength under control. That's what meekness is. Verse 6 Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And in my view, it's a desperate longing for goodness, wanting to see goodness thrive in this world. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Want to do good, seek to please God, be hungry and desperate for those things. Verse 7 Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Very simply, a true, deep compassion for other people. No matter what they've done to you, no matter what kind of a klutz they are, what kind of a doofus they are, however they stumbled and tripped over things, no matter how they hurt your feelings, there's still a soul that's loved by God. And you've got to have a deep compassion for that. You've got to be able to willing, be willing to look past their mistakes, look past their shortcomings, look past what they're not in your eyes that they should be and say, I love this person. I'm merciful. Be merciful to people. Very simple. But that's righteousness. That's real righteousness. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This simply speaks to moral purity resulting in, and I believe, a greater intimacy with God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers. We spread the gospel of peace. In other words, it's our job. Right now, the Bible says that the world is enmity between God and man, right? That worldly spirit. And so if we're peacemakers, we're spreading the gospel, we're sharing the word of God with them, we're essentially making peace between the world and God. You understand that? That's what a peacemaker does. Where there's a fight, you step in, and I want to bring consolation. I want to bring that relationship together. It's our job to bring that gospel of peace message to the people who are at enmity with God, that are fighting him. Some of them don't even know they are. They don't even understand the depth of what they're doing, living in their unrighteousness. They're ignorant. And so rather than be their judge, let's be their peacemakers. Let's be merciful to them, right? Folks, this is to guard you. It's to build you up. These are tools. These are knowledges that you need to have to be powerful in the kingdom. To be righteous. To be called the children of God. Finally, verse 10 says, Blessed are they which are, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you hide from this thing that you are, if you're a different person completely out there from what you are in here, If you're not willing to at least share when the opportunity arises, someone asks you about your faith, if you're not willing to even be that because you're afraid of persecution, you're afraid to be made fun of at your job, you're at school, I know that can be very difficult and be very challenging, but I can tell you from personal experience, as a young man coming up in the church, I was taught 
great men who led me to do the right thing. My great Sunday school brother, teacher, Brother Matson, Brother Manuel Rogers, who was my pastor for many years, Brother Kylie, who's my pastor and my great friend, these guys that taught me just believe that God's going to be there with you. And I can tell you that every opportunity, every opportunity I had, I didn't make all of them. I messed up sometimes, but man, did the, 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 the conviction come on me when that happened. But not one time have I been subjected in a workplace to persecution or anger or meanness. As a matter of fact, the weird thing is that people would almost go out of their way to honor the fact that I was a person of faith. And I believe it's because I was taught as a young man not to throw it in their face or cram it up their nose or show that I'm higher and mightier than they are. I was just regular Russ. I was just a good guy. It just so happened I didn't cuss, smoke, drink, carouse, fight, get into all that other stuff. Now, did I stand there and say that to everybody? Did I get up in their face and say, well, I can't do that because I'm a Christian person and I'm better than you? No, I just simply said, I'm a person of faith. It's something that I choose not to partake in my life. No judgment. You've heard me say before, we'd have these sales things where we'd win a campaign and they'd go out and they'd buy champagne. I never asked for it, never said anything, never expected to be part of the little toast thing they wanted to do. Maybe I shouldn't have been. But I didn't drink alcohol. They went out and bought me one of those grape juice things. Never asked for it. They just bring, here you go, Russ, we know you don't drink. And then, you know, cheers. <laughs> My bishop will probably tell me if that's, I don't do that anymore. I'm on, it's not involved in that, but <laughs> really sank myself on that one, didn't I? <laughs> the letters are going out in the morning. But I want you to jump down to verse 20 because this is the verse that hit me. This is the verse that God kept bringing me back to literally in my prayer, in my seeking him and wanting to know more about what I need to do to help our congregation. God, where do you want to lead us? What do we need to know? God sends me to 5 and 20, 5 and 20, 5 and 20, 5 and 20. And I go to 5 and 20 and I read this scripture. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Man, that's like a nuclear bomb. That's right in the middle of this, the Beatitudes and all these wonderful attributes and God's teaching us how to live for him and teaching us these wonderful attributes and all of a sudden, boom. And by the way, don't get too righteous because if it doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. And if you know anything about the scribes and the Pharisees, you understand that for the most part, there were some good scribes, there were a couple of good Pharisees, not many, for the most part, they are the literal antithesis of righteousness in human beings. The one group of people that Jesus despised. He called them a brood of vipers. He had all kinds of names for them. They were literally the embodiment of the enemy to what Christ was trying to bring in his message of peace when he arrived here and began to preach on the Sermon on the Mount. Folks, we have to be aware of the works of the scribes and the Pharisees, the stuff that's going on out there, the, the Pharisee spirit that took over Aaron Rodgers and, and the people that are running, that are making our rules and our laws and, and, and the people that we vote for and all of this stuff, the antithesis of what God brought to this message. Matthew 23, 1 and 2 says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude. He came to a multitude and his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, Every temple, every synagogue had a stone seat. They referred to it as Moses' seat. That was the place where the teacher sat. 
Jesus actually sat in one of those seats a couple of times and, and, and appalled the Pharisees. But verses 3 through 12, and I'm not going to get into all of them for sake of time, but 3 through 12 goes on to expose the poor character and the failings of the scribes and the Pharisees. He lays it all out there. He says, for they say and do not. They tell you to do things, but they don't do it themselves. They bind heavy burdens on men, grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Their works they do to be seen of men. It's all about the show. It's all about, I want to show you what I've got. It says they make broad their phylacteries. It was, a, it was a leather case that they wore on their forehead, strapped around with a leather strap, and the word of God, hero Israel, was in it. And they made them extra big just so you could see how glorious I was and how the word is so important to them. They enlarge the borders of their garments. It says that they love the uttermost rooms and the feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues. They love the greetings in the markets. They loved it when people ran up and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, tell me something today. Give me some wisdom. But he goes on and says, don't call, be called Rabbi. There's one that's your master. In other words, don't enjoy that. Don't get it. If you come up to me and say, hey, Russ, how are you doing today? I've had people do that several times already. They come, oh, hey, Russ. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, pastor. <laughs> Believe me, it is not a big deal. And it's not a deal at all. Most, or people will call me Brother Cordell, Brother Russ, whatever. It, and it's all fine. Because, thank God, I'm not a Pharisee. Because if I was, I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> thank you, Brother Daryl. <laughs> so don't worry about any of that. But they love that. They love to be called master. They love to be adored. They love to be lifted up. As a matter of fact, the word Pharisee actually means, it comes from the word separatist. But they love to be greatest amongst the others. They love to see everybody else as a servant. Uh, they love to exalt themselves and abase everybody else. But Jesus said at the end there in verse 11, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Isn't it interesting how always the opposite of the world, opposite of the world, here's what the world's saying, here's what God really means. Here's what the world's saying, here's what God really wants. What a great litmus test, right? Wake up in the morning, look out your window, grab the paper, read, listen to Fox. What's the world doing today? I'm doing the opposite. Amen. Further on in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 23, again, I won't read through all of them. I'm, I'm going to highlight them for you. Matthew 23, I'm going to read through parts of 13 through 16 and 23 through 29. Powerful, powerful scripture is Jesus ministers. Now, just as there were eight blesseds, happiness is where that, the word actually comes from. It actually literally means happiness. Blessed in the, in, in the Beatitudes, there's eight woes. Speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says it again and again and again. And they're there, by the way. This is the courage and the boldness and the strength of our God. He sat there and he knew they were looking at him. And he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he called them out for their traits. Listen to what he said. You've shunned God's worth and truth for traditions and rules, not concerned for the lost. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, okay, just for time. You took widows' homes as good business because of greed. And you pray long and loud for a show. You, you evangelized and won people, but you've exposed them to bad attitudes, selfishness, and carnality. What a horrible thing if our church was like that. Thank God. 
If we went and did all this work to go and win souls and we brought them in here into a nest of all that nastiness, that would be horrible. We can't do stuff like that. But I guarantee you that the enemy wants that to happen. He wants us to break down in our righteousness. He wants us to break down into this carnality. He'd love to see that just sweep through this place so that we win a soul so we can feel righteous and great. Hey, we taught a Bible study and we won a soul. And oh, by the way, after I won the soul, after I brought you into the church, let me tell you about this guy. And oh yeah, this lady over here, oh, she's nasty. I don't like her. Yeah, pastor, he's an idiot. But don't worry about that. Just keep coming to church. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if that kind of thing was going on. But this is how the scribes and the Pharisees were. Number four, they made a big deal out of the fact that they tithed, but they left out the things that matter the most. Tithing was not enough. They tithed of their spices and their mint and all that kind of stuff. But they left out justice and mercy and all of these great attributes. The things that really mattered to God. They focused on outward appearances while inwardly they were corrupt and carnal. Again, I'm paraphrasing all of this in in 23. Outwardly righteous and pious, dead on the inside because of selfishness and pride. Jesus called them white sepulchers full of dead men's bones. There was a tradition in Israel at that time that when it came time for certain periods of the year, they would go and they would whitewash all of the sepulchers. And the reason they did that is so they were very visible because if you touched a sepulcher, you were unclean. There were dead people inside there. He literally called them a whitewashed tomb. Paul, in Acts chapter 3, I believe it was, looked at the Pharisees and said, you're a whited wall. That's exactly what he was talking about. Full of dead men's bones. And the final woe. Jesus cursed the Pharisee, as I said, as a brood of vipers, for that they made a big show. They built tombs for the prophets and adorning the monuments of the righteous. They did that. But see, it was the fathers. Their fathers were the ones that murdered the prophets. He says it in the word. He says, you, you're the children of those that murdered my, my prophets and, and my righteous. But yet you, you walk around and you adorn their tombs. And you adorn and you, you, you lay all these great honors on them. But then Jesus goes on to say the really biting part. They professed a love for honor and honor for God's anointed But because of their pride and their carnality, he's predicting that they would also kill and crucify and persecute his prophets and his men. Of course, Jesus was talking about himself as well and those that he would send. Scribes and the Pharisees were responsible for murdering the ones that God sent. They didn't want to hear his word. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. It was an affront to their power. It was an affront to their ownership, this, these, this worship that they got from, the, from those that were abased, those that were just the riffraff, you know, the people in the crowds. If this new word came and revolutionized this, it was an equalizer. It was an equalizer for everybody, and it took away power. And the scribes and the Pharisees didn't want that to happen. And Jesus told it to him right to their faces. But folks, we've got the word and the spirit. We were raised and brought up under the wonderful message. Matthew chapter 6 and 33, I've read it, I've quoted it earlier, forgot I had it in my notes actually, Brother Kylie's, one of his favorite scriptures, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. But let me take you to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and 22 and I'm getting ready to close. We're going to read two scripture sets in 2 Timothy 1 in chapter 2 and 1 in chapter 3. Chapter 22 says this, and I'm going to go to verse 26. It says, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, 
peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Don't argue with one another. Don't fight back and forth, is what he's saying. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. You know what that means, those that oppose themselves? The people that are ignorant of the truth. They're out there doing things that are damaging and harmful to themselves, and we see it every day. The thing that grieves us, the thing we see them do, they're opposing themselves. I mean, in other words, if they don't stop, their end is not good according to the word of God, and it's our job to try to reach them and, and be diligent and, and kind and, and respectful to them and have patience with them. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. That's righteousness in action. That's our mission. 2 Timothy 3 and 16, many of you know it very well. All scripture. How much scripture? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Oh, that's your opinion. Oh, I, I go to church too. That's not what my pastor says. That's not what my priest says. You guys interpret it your way. We interpret it your way. Wrong. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It wasn't written by a bunch of old men who didn't know any better because they were ignorant, unlearned idiots from 2,000 years ago. It was given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Doctrine, that's what we teach. It's perfect for doctrine. It's perfect for reproof. What's reproof? Reproof is, hey, this is something I'm hearing out in the world. What does the word God say, say against it? Let's combine those two. Let's, let's take a look at those two side by side. That's reproof. Let's make sure what we're hearing is accurate according to the will of God. Use it for reproof, for correction. You know what? Sometimes, including myself, we need a little bit of correction in the word of God. If you are not willing to hear correction from God, from a leader, from an authority, from a pastor, from someone who's got a word for you, you may be dancing on the line between righteousness and maybe not so good. I'm just telling you. I've had to subject myself to, to correction many, many times. I meet with my leaders and my mentors, my pastor, my guide, my particular mentor, and one of the first things I was learned a long time ago to say, Pastor, I'm here for either direction or correction or both. I want to make sure I'm doing right. Please don't hold back. Don't, don't be nice to me. Let me know. Am I making a mistake here? And that's an honest, I, I earnestly revere what it is that God's called me to do, and you should as well, and I hope you do, and I think you do. But we've got to be careful because the word is there for correction. And then for instruction in righteousness, which I've shared a whole bunch with you already. If I could have our musician this morning, I'm going to close with just a couple more references. What's this all for? Why, why do we need to know all this? As I said before, we're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven if, 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 our, righteous, if our righteousness is about equal with that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Because you know what? They had righteousness. They were at some level, apparently, at some level of righteousness, even if only prescribed by their own word. And that's why Jesus didn't say just any righteousness. But you've got to exceed that, that exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Or we don't get to the big 
the big show. We don't go to the Super Bowl up in the clouds. We don't get to go to heaven if we don't exceed that righteousness. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 8. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Who is his wife? The church. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. Brother Meyer, a garment clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Jesus sitting on the throne of judgment will separate the sheep from the goat someday. And you can stand with me this morning. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 verses 41 through 46 says it very succinctly this way. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, he's already spoken to the right hand. He's already talked to the ones on the right. (laughs) It's no accident they're on the right. Different story. He says to them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not sick. And in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they, the ones that are standing on the left listening, then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. When, when was this? When did we see that? I don't remember seeing you. Then shall he answer him, them saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. there's somebody in your life that you've deemed to be less than you something in life that you're struggling with God's not condemning you God's not calling you down he's simply girding you up he's guarding you with these words beware the spirit of the scribe and the Pharisee beware where you stand what you rationalize what you justify because the world is pushing hard for it to enter into the church they want it in here they want it in here so bad It's either that or they want us broken up and destroyed. This is our call. Humility. That we love one another. We begin to break down these walls and bring people in and God begins to bring more and more revival. You're going to be used mightily in the kingdom. Don't worry about what you don't have right now. Don't worry about where you want to be or what you think you should have or what your next vacation is or what your next home looks like. Don't worry about all that stuff. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and let God add to you all the things that you're dreaming of right now, the things that you wish you had, you could achieve and you could conquer. Do his part first. Do what he's asking you to do first. Every person you encounter, love them, feed them, clothe them, give them water to drink. 
give, 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 give. Humble yourself. Do everything you can to say, God, I know this isn't going to earn my ticket into heaven, but I just want to be as righteous as I possibly can for you. And then maybe in your mercy and your grace, you'll see me through. And he will. He will. Jesus, we're thankful, God. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the call to reach out. We can do better. We can raise the bar. We can lift it up a little bit. We can do better every day. We've got room to improve. We know we can do better, God, because we want to be used mightily in you, Jesus. This altar is open this morning. If you want to come down and talk to him, get a hold of him, get a hold of his word. God, what do you want me to do? What are you calling me to be today? I want to be that thing. I want to be powerful in the kingdom. Not for my glory, not for my purpose, but for you, God, for you. Lord, we want to please you today, Jesus. God, we want to be pleasing to you. Don't let us be blind. Don't let us miss the things that you're calling us to do. Don't let us rationalize in our human minds and our human intellect the things that you don't want us to keep in our souls and in our minds and in our hearts. Don't let the enemy creep in on me, God, and start to convince me that the way I think and the way I do things only is right. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.